Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know I'm not good enough. I never will be. That's no excuse to stop fighting, no matter how much it scares me, no matter how much it hurts. Ben Parker taught me that, and nothing scares me more than letting him down. That is a quote from The Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 1, Number 661, by writer Christos Engage. And that quote is everything that you could say about Spider-Man in one single brilliantly written piece of dialogue and it's the perfect way to kick off this week's geek history lesson hello i am jason inman and welcome to geek history lesson welcome to your mind university as we are the podcast that breaks down one character one construct or one book in a little bit less than an hour and this week we are going to dive into something a little bit different or should i say we are going to web swing into something a little bit different. This is an episode where normally I would have my co-host, Ashley Victoria Robinson here, but unfortunately she is traveling, and because of that, I am web-swinging solo without any of my Spider-Verse friends because last weekend was my birthday. I also just recently traveled, and we are here to celebrate Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse hitting theaters. So, to make this episode a little bit easier on future Jason and past Jason as he was producing this episode, I reached out to our friends over at our Patreon, the Geek History Lesson Patreon, over at patreon.com slash Jawin, that's J-A-W-I-I-N, and I asked them to give me their best Spider-Man questions. And I will tell you, they have come up with some humdinger of questions here. Does that make any sense? They have come up with some humdinger questions. That's, I think, is more correctly. See, I had a very Peter Parker moment right there. And I am going to go through their questions and give my best answers to all of them. And starting off with the top here, one of our patrons, Jonathan Atkins says, as a writer, what do you look for in a Spider-Man story? And what do you think makes a good run? This is an amazing question. This is also a very difficult question. Um, But the easiest answer, I think, to this is that I think every Spider-Man story should have a problem that is just as important to Spider-Man as it is to Peter Parker. Because something that is very interesting about Spider-Man is that Spider-Man is sort of a story about two characters. Peter Parker is sort of this actualized, superheroic, super jokey version of Peter Parker. And at the same time, we have dorkish, you know, he's supposed to be bad with the ladies, but he always has good ladies. He's around Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy, but he's supposed to be a dork. And it is also the fight between these two different sides of himself. So whatever the story is about, I think has to be 
something that can activate both sides with equal stakes, but it has to do so with great emotion. Spider-Man is a character that wears his heart on his sleeve. It is this constant push and fight through his emotions, whether that relates to the people that he's saving as Spider-Man or the people that he loves in his life. And that is why every Spider-Man storyline always has this interesting dichotomy between is Peter letting the city down or is he letting his personal life down? Um, I've also said this in many past Geek History Lesson episodes, if you've never listened to us before, where I have said that Peter's greatest enemy is poverty. And that is, was meant as a joke. But what I actually mean by that is that his whole storyline is about struggle. It is about human problems. Peter Parker should never be worried about, is the rhino going to crush this building? He should be always worried about his rent. Or did he piss off Betty Brant? All these various things. It's what makes him unique. It's what makes him relatable. It's what makes him a character that we have loved since Stan Lee and Steve Ditko introduced him in Amazing Fantasy number 15 in 1962. He is a superhero that yearns for normalcy. But here's the rub of Spider-Man. If he ever gets that normalcy, he won't be interesting. He won't be amazing. He won't be spectacular. He won't be sensational. Can't use any of the ad, other adverb titles because they're, they're not, uh, uh, you know, descriptors of the amazing person that Peter becomes when he becomes Spider-Man. And it is one of the things that makes him so unique because he desperately just wants to be Peter Parker. He wants all of his family to be safe he wants to have enough money to pay the rent. But if that is his life, he will never be the character that will save New York City, which he has been several times as the amazing Spider-Man. Um, you know, if, if I were to dive into this really great question just a little bit more, I would say that some specific things that Spider-Man stories really need to have is uh, a great sense of humor. Spider-Man should be the funniest character in every single story. Um, and that, again, is another activation of this Spider-Man identity, making him a perfect person. There should also be, again, struggle with um, his job and his family. And all of these stories, while he's fighting through these emotional beats, I think should always have a success story where Peter Parker's scientific knowledge, because he is a very smart scientist. I mean, he built these web shooters when he was 16. 16! You, know, you, know, you don't see Elon Musk doing that. No, Peter Parker did that. So I kind of think that as he fights through his emotions and he fights through his family problems, that he should always solve the problem with a scientific solution. Um, because in a perfect world, Peter Parker is a scientist. And then this goes into the statement that I made earlier about him wearing his heart on his sleeve. Peter Parker will always do the right thing. He's very ethical. And he has an enduring belief that all people are good. It's the reason why time after time after time again, 
he tries to save Norman Osborn. Even though Norman Osborn threw the love of his life, Gwen Stacy, off the Brooklyn Bridge. Was it the Brooklyn Bridge or the Washington Bridge? I'm not certain. Could be there. I'm going to say it's the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm making that statement right now. Please tell me I'm wrong in the comments. But he keeps trying to save people. And that, again, is what makes him spectacular. So a little bit of all of those elements should be in every Spider-Man story and in every Spider-Man run. And if you're missing, I think, even one of those elements, then I don't think you have a good Spider-Man story. So, Jonathan Adkins, uh, thank you for giving us that great question over at patreon.com slash jawin. Uh, and if you want to support the podcast and listen to many of our other episodes over there, uh, you can get all these Geek House Wrestling episodes early and ad-free. And we have our Justice League animated review show over there. Uh, Jason and Jeremy John about Justice League, our movie review podcast called Film Footsteps, which comes out every month. There are six bonus podcasts a month, and I want to thank all the super friends for giving us all the other questions we're going to cover in this episode and for uh, supporting this podcast just because they love it. The next question from our Patreon comes from Tom Trainer, who says, what's something you think that Ultimate Spider-Man did better than the 616, and what's something that 616 does better than Ultimate? So just to uh, explain, in case you don't know, Ultimate Spider-Man was a run... Uh, an imprint of Marvel comic books that started in the year 2000, written by Brian Michael Bendis, where the idea was what if Stan Lee created Spider-Man and they also did X-Men and the Avengers in the year 2000? What would change? What would look different? And the 616, of course, is he's talking about the regular line of Marvel comic books. Well, Tom, I think Ultimate Spider-Man does a better job of representing Peter Parker's personal life. Now, a lot of that is is because a lot of the Ultimate Spider-Man storyline is him in high school, him being a teenager, him dealing with his girlfriend problems. We um, are lucky that Spider-Man has basically been published continuously since 1962. So in the regular continuity, Spider-Man has been up to a lot of stuff. And we do get to experience a lot of his personal life, but they kind of nailed it right out the gate. Stanley did with the original cast with Betty Brant and Flash Thompson and Gwen and Mary Jane and Aunt May and all these people. And we haven't had that in the 616 universe in the mainstream line universe for a very, very long time. So that's something that Ultimate did better. Here's something that the 616 universe did better. They do the villains better. Yeah, that's right. The main Marvel Universe has better villains. It's because they allowed them to really lean into the Ditko-ness of it all. And what I mean by that is Steve Ditko, the original creator, co-creator of Spider-Man, the original artist, gave so many of these original villains amazing motifs. They stuck out visually. Like, you could recognize the Vulture just by, by, by his simple, amazing design. And Spider-Man villains should be kind of goofy. They should be kind of silly. And why is that? Because Spider-Man is kind of silly. And Spider-Man is kind of goofy. And the ultimate Spider-Man storyline, because it was created in the early 2000s, it comes around in this period very similar to the first X-Men movie, where we are trying to, for lack of a better term, Christopher Nolanize these characters. We're trying to, like, all the costumes should be black and they should be practical and they should have lots of zippers and pouches because we need to understand exactly how these characters get into these suits. 
And the 616 is just like, eh, whatever, man. It is a old man with giant white feathers. That's the vulture. That's it. And there's something kind of pure, kind of amazing about that. So that is something that the 616 universe did better than the ultimate. universe. Tom Trainer also has another question over here. Spider-Man graduated high school in issue 28 of Amazing. Why do you think so many people are still so insistent that the character has to be in high school? Now, this is very similar to a question that our other patron, Taylor Moody, also asked, who said, do you think that Spider-Man will eventually progress to be a married family man and not erase it, much like Superman has progressed to that over the decades? Or do the current publishers think it's more interesting for these superheroes to be perpetual bachelors? Well, there is something very interesting about Spider-Man that he is this young 16-year-old boy very fresh off the murder of his uncle. And, and Tom brings up a very excellent point in his question that in it was issue 28 of Amazing Spider-Man. And Amazing Spider-Man, I believe, is over the 800s now. Don't quote me on that. Um, but it's way up there. Um, so act- in actuality, he has been out of high school more than he has been in high school. And Taylor brings up this interesting point that, you know, Superman, very similar. Now, now we are in a universe where Superman has been married for, I mean, if you combine the two time periods, because he was married, then they retconned that away, then they got him married again. I would say he's been married for about 20 years. And Superman has been around for 85 years at this point. So still a smaller version, but most people, I mean, look at Superman and Lois, which is currently on the air right now. He is married in this television show. It is kind of accepted that he is married to Lois Lane. And that didn't used to be the case. I personally, just because there have been more issues of Spider-Man outside of high school, I prefer him to be out of high school. I actually would prefer Spider-Man to be a little bit older. Um, I think the reason why a lot of people insist that Spider-Man has to be in high school is because that's the way that we like to perceive him in the general Marvel universe. Think about it. Cap is kind of 100 years old, if you factor in all of his aging from when he was frozen. Tony is in his 40s. Reed Richards has gray hair. All of these other scientist-y characters have families, wives, even kids. And to differentiate Spider-Man, we make him young. If we make him 16, especially like what they did in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he comes off as young. And it's, it is for writing and for storytelling. That's a smart move. but. I agree that I think we should let him be married. We should let him move on. And um, I'm going to say this at the time of this recording, I have not seen Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, but we have hints in that of the Peter B. Parker character. You know, he's a little bit older. He's a little bit chubbier. He's probably in his early 40s. And, um, you know, he has a child in that with Mary Jane. Now, again, I don't know any of the details of the movie at the time of this recording, but I could see that movie sort of pushing Marvel comic books a little bit ahead with the character to make the married Peter Parker, the non-high school Peter Parker, a permanent fixture of the Marvel Universe. Um, that's something I would love to see. I actually, funny fun fact, I, I really think my favorite version of Peter Parker that I've ever seen in the comic books 
was written by J. Michael Straczynski, the very famous Babylon 5 creator. I think making Peter Parker a high school science teacher is the most genius move you could ever do. He is a dork. He loved school. And of course, he would give back. I, I think it makes so much sense. And I'm kind of sorry because here, here's the other thing, right? I'm sad to say that in, in the United States of America, where Spider-Man lives and where I live myself, uh, teachers are not paid well. And they should be paid so much more. It's such an important job. Think Every one of us knows a teacher that touched our life in some amazing, astounding way that we still remember. You can, you know, uh, for me, I, I, one of my teachers, I can remember Mr. Weaver, who was my amazing art teacher. Mr. Bowman, who was my amazing English teacher, who taught me the joys of the Odyssey. Um, Mrs. Simon, my geography teacher, who was a, was a fantastic teacher. We all remember these teachers from high school and elementary. And Peter Parker would be that teacher. And I think make him a teacher. We can still have the financial problems that are very classic to the character. And I think that's a big hurdle for a lot of writers because I think a lot of writers are, are thinking to themselves, well, the only way he can be poor is, is he has to be in a teenager or in his 20s searching for jobs. And that's just not true anymore. And I think you can make him a high school teacher, still have him struggle with rent, still have him struggle. Imagine him struggling to get to parent-teacher conferences. That would be such a funny storyline. But I, that is my hope for, I hope Spider-Verse pushes us through there. I, I want to see him as a married man. I don't know if we'll ever get to family man. I think that might be a step too far. Um, I think it, we got away with that with Superman and Superman having John Kent with Lois, even in the television show, because Superman has always been our dad. Think about it. He always gives us morals. He always gives us like good, you can do it, chum. That is what Superman says to us. Spider-Man is the eternal screw-up. So I don't know if we'll want to see a dad as our eternal screw-up. So that is kind of my uh, feeling about Spider-Man. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The next question comes from Noah Dalton, who asks, why do you think Ben Riley has had so much staying power? Well, Noah, Ben Riley, he's the spider clone. He was actually introduced in the 70s. He's become the scarlet spider. Um, you know, he has... A very he was spider the main Spider-Man of Amazing Spider-Man for a very for a couple of years actually, and uh, twice that has happened. The reason why I think Ben Riley has stuck around is very simply this: 
I think the design is really good. The original design where he has a red suit, bright white eyes, and a blue hoodie. And I think that is why we remember him. I think it's nostalgia. I think it's nostalgia and a great design. I, I, I don't think it's anything to do with the character. I, I honestly think, and, th- and that's fine. You know, comic books are a visual medium, and that's totally fine if a character's only reason that they stick around is a visual. Think about one of the most famous superheroes of all time, Batman. Why is Batman so popular? Well, part of it is, is because he has a very distinctive silhouette. You can show the bat ears to anyone, anywhere in the world, and people will go, Batman. Think about it. Think about all the stories where we just see the shadows. So uh, that, I think, is very similar to Ben Riley because I honestly don't think the character has had much to do or much really great arcs here and there. It's that design. I mean, I have an action figure of it in this very studio. It is so, I'm going to say it, iconic. So that's why I think he is stuck around. Brian J has a question here. It says, Spider-Man's Rose Gallery was quickly established in the first 20 issues or so. Why do you think Spider-Man's villains are so enduring compared to other rogue galleries? Touched on this a little bit early. Earlier, excuse me. It's the power of Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko is a legendary comic book creator, co-creator of Spider-Man, co-creator of Doctor Strange. He also uh, created Blue Beetle and Captain Atom. And, or, I mean, excuse me, he did the Dead Cord uh, Blue Beetle. Uh, he worked on The Question. He worked on Hawk and Dove. He's responsible for the amazing look of the Creeper at DC Comics. He is a force to be reckoned with. And he put all of his heart and soul into these Spider-Man characters. In fact, there is a, there's a lot of rumors going around that he is actually responsible for more of these early issues, similar to the Jack Kirby Stan Lee Fantastic Four arc uh, where uh, a lot of people credit Jack Kirby for a lot of the the story uh, emphasis uh, in the early Fantastic Four issues. Uh, that same argument could be said for Steve Ditko. And I think he poured his heart and his soul in every, every piece of graphite or lead that he drew into these pages into these villains. They are so distinctive. They are so amazing. And it was kind of a genius move uh, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko to make them all animal-based. It fits. It makes sense why they would chase a spider. They're so interesting. I mean, it, without a doubt, Spider-Man's rogues gallery is the best in comic books underneath Batman's. I mean, Batman has the best rogues gallery in comic books. We're judging comic books altogether. But Spider-Man's is number two. And Spider-Man has had even some recent additions to the rogue galleries. I mean, Venom. And I even think Mr. Negative, a more recent addition who appeared in the Spider-Man PS4 game, is also amazing. So that's, I, I, I really think it's Steve Ditko. I think he is the secret sauce that made some of these villains so astounding. The next question comes from Diego Nunez. What do you see as Spider-Man's greatest success as a character? Um, so that's a... Very interesting question. And that's a very interesting question that could be answered in so many different ways. I mean, you know, Stan Lee had a lot of stories of a young kid who just dealt with a lot of tough luck. Um, Jerry Conway focused on a lot of grief 
Um, you know, the Sam Raimi trilogy focuses on emotion and, and, and being a good person. And I, I really think that Spider-Man might be the most purest expression of a reader POV character that we have ever seen. And if you don't know what I mean, this is what a reader POV character is. Think back to the first Hellboy film by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, I don't remember the agent's name, but there was a young agent that gets introduced to the BRPD. That's the agency that controls and runs all the supernatural adventures of Hellboy. And he's not a character that exists in the comic books. He's not even a character that returns in Hellboy Part 2. But this character sort of walked into the BRPD and explained everything so that us, the audience, can understand it. He is the audience POV character. Now let's take that same statement and let's apply it to Peter Parker. What is something that is very unique about Peter Parker that doesn't exist for most superheroes? The first Spider-Verse movie really delves into this. They make it a theme, in fact. The fact that it could be anybody underneath the mask. He's, his skin is completely covered. Could be anybody. And because he started in high school, which at the time when those comic books were being published in the 60s, kids were the people that were reading more comic books. That's not the case today. But it was the case back then. And it allowed readers to step into the Marvel Universe and become a POV character that is not a sidekick, which is what Robin is. Robin from DC Comics is also an audience POV character. That's the whole reason he was introduced, because they thought Batman was dark and brooding, and they were like, we need kids buy comic books. We need, we need to partner a kid with Batman so kids will empathize with Batman. But Spider-Man, he's the title character. And he's our audience POV. Think about all the captions you read during Spider-Man stories. It's so we can hear his inner thoughts. That's why I think he is such a great success because anybody could be Spider-Man. We all feel, we've all had times where we couldn't get the bills paid. We've all had times where an uncle or an aunt died. We've all had times where, you know, it, it wasn't a person, a, a friend of ours being thrown off a bridge, but I, I guarantee you that many people listening to this podcast have experienced a surprise death. That's Gwen Stacy. That makes us all Spider-Man. We're all Spider-Man. And that's even true today. When you look at the Spider-Verse movies, even when you look at some of the Spider-Man storylines, Spider-Man, even with all his up-and-tumble continuity, clones, ultimate universes, whatnot, mostly is a very accessible character, depending on the writer and the run, of course. But he, we kind of all know who Spider-Man is. And we kind of all know that he's kind of a mess. And in all realities, we're all kind of a mess. We're all messes ourselves, right? And it doesn't matter how many webs we spin, how many webs, I don't know why I said that weird, but how many webs we spin, we all have different, difficult times in life, just like Spider-Man. And every once in a while, we'll read an issue where a Spider-Man will punch Juggernaut in the face, 
And we'll get to live that moment with Peter Parker. And, and there's something astounding and there's something kind of amazing. So that's why I think he's a great success. And that is his greatest success. So thank you for that question, Diego. Amazing question. Let's go to Adam Roberson, who has a question here. He says, do you prefer Spider-Man as a larger than life character or someone who's more down to earth? Well, I like the idea that Spider-Man is a street-level character. Um, I understand him being on the Avengers. I actually don't think that's a bad choice, and I actually kind of like that, you know, that sort of allows Peter to graduate. So I, I, I don't hate that. But I really think Spider-Man is a New Yorker at heart, and all of his stories should be in New York. It was a big problem I actually had with the second MCU Spider-Man movie of them running off to Europe. It just, I understand the impulse of why you do that and why you make that choice. Something that's never been done in a Spider-Man movie before. But there was something that felt off about it the entire time. Because he wasn't on the street being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So that's, that's what I think Spider-Man is. Because Spider-Man doesn't see himself as larger than life. He sees himself as a character of the people. So that's where, um, that's where I want Spider-Man to be. So, all right. The next question comes from the great NATO who says, we all know Spider-Man 2099 is the best Spider-Man. Well, you know, he's, he's high up there. I, I, I love Spider-Man 2099. I have many action figures of him. Great NATO continues with when he was created, his power set was, and still is missing the spider sense do you think this was a mistake and why and would there be any other power you would give him well i don't have a good answer for would there be any other power you would give him that's that's something that like only the best of writers can come up with if they have like a week to think about it um so it's gonna be hard for me to come up with that on the spot um but i don't think it was a mistake for him to miss the spider sense i think the spider sense is something that's very unique to peter parker it is a power that is, you know, basically precognition, as we've talked about in previous Geek Hitchleton episodes. And it's something that I argue back and forth with that I don't think every spider character should have. Um, you know, I understand the reason why it's a very powerful power. Excuse me for using that word twice. It's very unique. It almost makes you invincible. And it also makes you faster than lightning because you can predict where punches are coming almost every time. There were some scenes in Spider-Verse that bothered me when every when five characters in the room and the spider sense all goes off. Um, I actually think not giving Miguel O'Hara the Spider-Man 2099, the dystopian Spider-Man, if you will, I think it was a great choice by Peter David, the original creator of that character, to not give him the spider sense because Miguel is a character that's tougher. Miguel is a character that's meaner. And not giving him spider sense leans into that that he has to be meaner he has to be tougher to survive so um that's why i think it was a good choice to not give him the spider sense next question comes from geeks with shields podcast who's asked what's the deal what's the deal doing the jerry seinfeld what's the deal with our pop culture obsession with venom is it really a winning combination of cool costume and 90s nostalgia? Time and time again, we see him come back, 
but it's never worked as well as when he was first introduced as a villain. Well, so Geeks with S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, I agree with you. I think Venom as an anti-hero for me personally, and if you like it, uh, more for you. I'm glad you liked it. I think it has been largely unsuccessful. It's having our cake and eating it too. It is the editors of Marvel Comics seeing that the Venom storyline sells very well and says, well, let's pump out as many Venom storylines as we can. Give them two movies. Let's go. He is not that deep of a character. He is a dark Spider-Man that drools. That goes, yeah, Spider-Man, or whatever version you want to do. You know, I mean, I know the Tom Hardy version was like, let's do it like this. He sort of talked like that. But the honest answer is just like my earlier Scarlet Spider answer. The reason why we keep bringing up Venom is because Todd McFarlane, the co-creator of Venom, knocked out the original design in the early 90s out of the park. Venom looks amazing. How big he is, his giant tongue, the choice of uh, recreating the Secret Wars Spider-Man black costume with the giant white web emblem, it just looks cool. It looks so damn cool. And if you remember, the foreboding dread that was throughout all of those original Venom stories with the idea that Peter's spider sense could not sense Venom. Couldn't see him coming. And then Venom knew who Spider-Man was because of the symbiote. The symbiote told him. And him going after Mary Jane. So I think it's a little bit of the cool design along with this idea that, man, Venom is kind of like Bane. It was just so very interesting when you think about that Tom Hardy played Venom and he's also playing Bane in a Batman movie. But very similar to Bane. But the idea that Venom was one of the first villains that kind of attacked Spider-Man on his home turf was like a home invader, if you will, like an alien symbiote home invader. And the minute you move him outside of that, he's just not that interesting. He really isn't. Not for me anyway. So that is my answer to that question. The next question comes from Jesse Schultz, who says, if Marvel and DC were ever to have a crossover again, who from DC should Spider-Man team up with in a miniseries? Should it be a solo character or a team? Now, fun fact, uh, in one of the original crossovers, there's been a Spider-Man, uh, Batman, there's been a Spider-Man, Superman. Uh, but what I believe Jesse is mainly referring to is Marvel versus DC, that giant 90s event. Uh, and in that, fun fact, that was Ben Riley as Spider-Man. It was not Peter Parker. So it's funny because when you actually think about it, like Peter Parker kind of didn't really experience any of that event. So in that event, Ben Riley Spider-Man also fought against Connor Kent, Superboy, the cloned Superman from Reign of Superman. And I think the reason why they teamed them up was because they were both clones. Because it was Ben Riley, the supposed Spider-Clone, and Connor Kent, the Super-Clone. But I don't think that's who they should team him up with if we ever do a Marvel DC crossover again. I have a perfect answer for this. I think it should be Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle because Jaime Reyes' Blue Beetle's origin is basically Peter Parker's 16-year-old origin. It is a young kid that gets a lot of powers, has no idea how to deal with it. And I think Peter, especially if we go with a little bit of a Peter that is older, Peter can be a 
amazing mentor to Jaime Reyes. Give him some tips. Give him some interesting stuff. And also, Peter is a science whiz. So, Peter might be able to teach him some things with that alien technology suit that Jaime doesn't know. And I, I think that would be fascinating because Peter would nerd out about the suit. Jaime would nerd out about Spider-Man knowing how to be a hero. And I think it would just be kind of a heartwarming and very interesting story. Very similar to how Peter mentored and teamed up with Miles. Um, so I think that is who if we were to go with a team, hmm, that's very interesting. I mean, I do think that Peter Parker would be very interesting on the Titans, but the grown-up Titans like Dick Grayson and Starfire and Cyborg, he would be a very interesting addition. And it would also be very interesting to note if Gar Logan, the changeling, the beast boy, who is generally seen as the annoying, snarky, jokey character, could get along with Peter Parker, the snarky, jokey Spider-Man. So that, I think there would be some interesting character dynamics there. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, the Bat Marino has a question who says, what irradiated animal would you want to be bitten by to receive fantastical animal-based powers? This is such a great question. Um, well, my favorite animal is a cheetah. So I want to be bitten by a cheetah so that I can run at cheetah speed. Uh, which is not quite super speed, but I'm going to imagine that it is super speed, and that is what I am going to uh, go for. So everyone out there, thank you so much for these amazing questions. Thank you so much for when I lit the spider signal over at our Patreon at patreon.com slash jaw when you all answered. I just want to note that we have our episode of GHL Extra that is exclusively over on the Patreon. We're going to be talking about some of Spider-Man's supporting characters, and um, Spider-Man runs that ended too soon. So come over and check that out. And don't forget to follow Geek History Lesson everywhere at geekhistorylesson.com where you can find our recommended reading where we'll have some Spider-Man related titles for this episode. You can come over to patreon.com slash John which is where you can support Geek History Lesson on Patreon. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GHL Podcast. I, of course, am on Twitter and Instagram at Jawin. That's J-A-W-I-I-N. And I just want to thank everybody, everybody, for some, you know, sticking around with me, as some would say. Stick around. Because this is the final part of the podcast, because we've got the plugs. And I just want to tell you about one of my favorites. Spider-Man story. Um, if you've never heard of the kid who loved Spider-Man, you should definitely, or excuse me, the kid who collects Spider-Man, you should look for this story. One of my favorite Spider-Man storylines. It's written by Roger Stern. It was originally published in The Amazing Spider-Man number 248 in 1984. Basically, this is about young Timothy Harrison. He's a sick kid. 
and he collects everything Spider-Man, including all the Daily Bugle articles and various things like that. Um, and Spider-Man finds out about this kid and goes to visit. And they talk about Spider-Man's career and various other things. And, and you know, this kid really touches Spider-Man's heart. And eventually it comes to Tim asks Spider-Man to take off his mask and tell him who he really is. And I'm going to not tell you what happens after this point, but this is a sort of amazing story of a young boy very similar to the age that Peter Parker was when his Uncle Ben died. The, the, the culmination, the origin of Spider-Man. And it lets Peter see that he does matter and he makes a difference. Which is, I think, a lesson that all of us can learn. That I think every single person that will ever listen to this podcast, that you have no idea whose lives you are affecting for the better. Could be a friend, could be a coworker, could be a family member, could be your spouse. You just existing and being around makes their life better. And that is what Spider-Man does for Timothy Tim Harrison. And I'm not going to tell you the twist about the ending with this, but definitely go check this story out. It was, uh, it's been reprinted so many times. Uh, it was reprinted in this trade called The Very Best of Spider-Man, which is where I read it, but I highly, highly recommend you seek this out. Um, because I also want to say to you, as a final end note to this, that um, thank you for sticking around on the very first solo Geek History Lesson of Just By Myself. I was very worried that I was going to be able to pull this off. Um, but thank you for your questions that allowed me to take this journey and spin this web through this podcast. I hope you find it interesting. And if you do, maybe we can continue that. Maybe we can, we can keep doing these listener question episodes. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I want to do a solo Jason episode. No, 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 no. We have, I, I need my co-host, Ashley Victoria Robinson. She's so much smarter than me. I need her. But maybe we could have some introspective question-based episodes in the future. And it's something that you have all made me realize. We are in the ninth year of Geek History Lesson. And I just want to say that to every single person that is listening to this podcast right now, you matter to me. You have made my life better. And you have made my talents better as a writer and a podcaster and as a person. Because learning to speak to you has been one of the greatest pleasures of my life. So, just like young Timothy Tim Harrison to Spider-Man, I just want to say thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you are enjoying the Spider-Verse that is happening all around. I hope you're enjoying all of our Geek History Lesson episodes. We'll be back next week with a regular episode. Until then, this has been Geek History Lesson. I'm Jason Inman, and class is now dismissed.